I'm pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so today we continue on with Fate Reforged. So I've been talking all about Fate Reforged. Uh, last I left, let's see, how I got up to F. So I'm still in F. So we're going to start to... We're going to start talking today about Feral Krushak. So 4G, 5-4 Beast. That's it. Um, one thing that's fun, by the way, is we need to make vanilla creatures. You know, one of the things that we... Um, I mean, it's something that we realized during New World Order. It's always sort of been true, is that you don't want every single card in play to make players go, okay, what, what does that do? That Sometimes you just want some cards that nice do simple things. Vanilla cards are nice. They give you a little breather. They do what they do. They can be very functional. And the trick for us is to figure out how to make vanilla things that really make sense. So we're in a world where we have uh, the um, a clan that's all about sort of power and being bigger. And like, okay, just making some bigger creatures will help. And just, we wanted to have some beasts. Like, one of the things that, um, one of the flavors that the creator team was really interested in is the idea that once upon a time, there were all these large creatures around, and that the dragons, when you, you let them exist, they eat a lot of those creatures. When you get to dragons of Tarkir, those big things aren't around anymore. The dragons kind of, as they proliferated, ate a lot of them. In fact, there's a few creatures, um, I know that the creative team said, okay, they're not going to exist. We get to Dragon Tarkir, the dragons ate them all. Um, like, I don't even know, like, for example, you see a lot of horses in the, in Cons of Tarkir. And I don't know how many horses you see in Dragon Tarkir. I think the dragons like to eat horses. They like popcorn to dragons. They like them. Um, but anyway, I just sort of point out that, you know, we're always trying to find new and interesting ways to do vanilla creatures. And this is just a simple creature, but, it, you know, it helps fits in and it gets some tone to, to the story. Okay, next, Fierce Invocation. So it's a sorcery that costs four and a red, and what you do is you manifest a creature, and you put two plus one plus one counters on it. So one of the things that we were definitely trying to figure out is when we first did manifest and exploratory design, the fear was, was there enough variety? I mean, you're making a 2-2 creature. How many times can you make a 2-2 creature? And so one of the ideas that we came across is the idea of, well, it doesn't always have to be a 2-2 creature, you know, what if when you make it, you know, you might pay more for it, but you get to put some plus one plus one counters on it. So Fierce Invocation gets to make a 4-4 four, four creature, not a 2-2 two, two creature. Um, and I like, I definitely like how that played. Um, the other interesting thing about Manifest that ended up playing out really well was it played super, super well with um, Jeskai. Because Jeskai had the prowess mechanic. The prowess mechanic really wants you to play non-creature spells. And the nice thing about Manifest is often... It's not on a creature. So this is a sorcery. So if you play this in your prowess deck, you get a trigger prowess, even though it's a creature. And you can put this in your deck as a creature slot. It makes a creature. For all sorts of purposes, it's creating a creature. So you don't have to count as your spells. You get to count as your creatures. But for your prowess count, it does get a count as a non-creature. Um, so I know one of the strategies in drafting uh, in Fate Reforged is to draft Jeskai and take as many manifest cards as you can in the Jeskai colors. Um, and it allows you... So you take... Basically what you do is you take a lot of prowess creatures, a lot of manifest creatures in red, white, and blue, um, or some combination of red, white, and blue. And anyway, it was a very fun deck. When I played Fate Forge, it was one of my favorite decks to draft. Okay, next. Flame Rush Rider. So Flame Rush Rider is a red creature, four and a red, five mana, for three, three human warrior. When it attacks... You put a copy, a, a, a clone or a token copy, um, tapped and attacking, and then you exile it into combat. And it has dash 2RR. 
So this is another example of a good dash creature that's, that's using things a little different. So the idea is, whenever he attacks, he gets to copy something and make a temporary clone, um, a clone token, when he attacks, so that um, every time he attacks, he gets to have extra damage. Um, and the cool thing is that if you dash him, you, people aren't prepared for that. You get, like, one of the things that's fun is sometimes giving something haste, the fun of the haste is that, the, that they don't anticipate it coming. That this thing really can hit you pretty hard if you don't... Once it's in play and your opponent knows about it, they at least see it coming. But the neat thing about haste is you can sneak it in and they don't expect it. Um, So this is a good example where um, haste is... You're you're paying for the surprise of haste. Not just that you get attacked earlier, which is part of it, but also that your opponent doesn't quite see what is coming. Okay, so next is flame wave... I can't read my writing... Uh, flame wave, what is this? Um, Phoenix. Flame wave Phoenix. Okay, so it's one red red for a 2-2 Phoenix. It is flying in haste, attacks each turn of Fable. Then it had Ferocious, and what Ferocious says, if you have a creature of four or greater in play, you may pay R to return this to the battlefield. Um, okay, so the, at the beginning of combat you can do this. So the idea is, so this is a, a little tiny Phoenix, it, it flies because it's a phoenix. It has haste, so it can attack right away. Um, and it must attack, so it's obliged to attack. But the cool thing about this is it's a ferocious phoenix. And it says, look, if I have a big enough thing in play, I get to keep coming back. So red has this quirky relationship with flying. Um, it gets dragons. Obviously, it got dragons in the set. Um, and it gets phoenixes. So phoenixes are defined in a couple ways. One, they always fly. They're made of fire. That's why they're in red, because their creature's made of fire. And the most important thing is they're reborn. The phoenix keeps coming back. Um, often our phoenixes do damage. This one, I mean, there's damage in that it hits you, but other than that. Um, but the neat thing about this is it's a little smaller than most of our phoenixes, but the fact that it just constantly keeps coming back really makes it powerful in that it's hard to deal with, because even if you kill it, it can just come back. Um... And it's using Ferocious. One of the things that's fun is to try to find different ways when you have triggers. Like, the neat thing here is it has a Ferocious trigger, but it works in the graveyard. That you can have something in play worth the power. And the neat thing is, let's say, for example, I get it, it dies, and I don't have anything. Well, at some point, I have a dream. At some point, I get out a creature that has four power or more, and then my Phoenix starts coming back. Um, one of the things is we didn't... So, one of the things on recursive things is we don't like them blocking. So usually if it's recursive, we don't want you to just constantly block with it. So if you'll notice, what we did with this creature is we gave it haste and we gave it must attack. That means every turn when I play it, I have no choice but to attack with it. Um, So I can't block with it. A little trick on our part. You'll notice that, by the way, creatures that come back, continually come back from the graveyard, mostly, not 100%, but mostly are hard to block with. Sometimes they say can't block. Sometimes they say must attack. Um, And and in this case, we use the must attack. Um, being that's in red, um, usually the separation between black and red is black has can't block and red has must attack. Um, over time, we've started to realize that um, can't block is a little more useful, so we've been toying with the idea of using can't block in other colors like red. Um, red will still be the must attack color, but sometimes, sometimes a must attack doesn't always have the effect that you want, and it has a little less utility of can't block. So anyway, a, a little... A little hint into the future. Okay, formless nurturing. Three and a green, sorcery, manifest with a plus one, plus one counter. So I just talked about the red one. The reason I brought the green one up is um, when I get to Dragons of Tarkir, I'm going to talk about um, Smorph, an alternate morph mechanic where 
um, you play the creature face down. You paid four, and you put a creature face down with, uh, with a plus one, plus one counter. So essentially, instead of paying three for a two-two, you're playing four for a three-three. Um, I like Smorph a lot. We ended up not doing it. I'll talk about that in the Dragon Tarkir podcast. But um, the reason I bring it up is that was inspired by this card. This was one of the first cards we made when we were trying to figure out ways to broaden out how to do um, Manifest. And it was this idea of using plus one, plus one counters to give it a different variance of, oh, look, I pay four to get a 3-3. Three, three. When I was... This, in, this card directly inspired Smorph. Uh, the idea of using the same philosophy with Morph. It's what if I could bring it in play? I could pay a little more, but it's a little bit bigger. How do I make it bigger? By using plus one, plus one counters. Um, and the neat thing in both this card and in Morph, um, in Smorph, was that when you, when you turn it face up, the counter stays. So the fact that it has a counter has a utility beyond just making the initial thing bigger. It makes the later thing bigger, and that's pretty cool. Um, and, and by the way, as Megamorph was inspired by Smorph, you also could say that Megamorph was an evolution of, of Formless Nurturing. Okay, Friendly Fire. It's three and a red for an instant. Uh, your target, target opponent reveals a card at random from their hand, um, and then it does damage equal uh, X damage equal to their converted mana cost, where X is their converted mana cost, to that player and a creature. So I think the way it worked um, is you chose a creature, you chose an opponent and one of their creatures, and then they picked a card from their hand, and it did damage equal to CMC to the player and their creature. Um, one of the things that we've been trying to do and figure out is how to let red be a little bit more random um, in a way that's not... like how to, oh, I said that wrong. How to make red chaotic in a way that's always just not... Who knows what happens? Um, so this is one us using randomness a little more straightforward of the idea of I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. Um, usually later in the game, uh, unless your opponent has some sense this is coming, they don't have lands in their hand. So usually you get to do some damage if you do it. I mean, it costs four mana. So usually later in the game. And it definitely has potential to have big things happen. So it definitely is a, um, a kind of card where it has a lot of variance to it. And it definitely it is it captures some of that chaotic sense. Okay, Frontier Siege. Okay, so I talked about the sieges last time. So the sieges um, are enchantments. So this one costs three and a green, so four mana. Um, and when it comes into play, you choose cons or you choose dragons. So this one was a little tricky. Um, okay, so the cons effect is beginning of your main phase, you may add GG, so green, green, to your mana pool. So it produces mana for you. If you choose dragons, whenever a creature with flying enters the battlefield, you fight a creature you don't control. Um, so the idea here is, once again, cons is good for you, it produces mana, dragons is bad for your opponent, it fights with your opponent. Um, the idea being is, um, the reason it says flying is, really what we wanted to say is dragons, but we were just trying to be a little bit more broad. Um, if you want to combo, the, I mean, green itself, the flying creatures in green is dragons, but if you want to combo it, we're allowing you to sort of combo with other colors that have a little more effect. So let's say you play a green-blue deck, you might have other flying creatures, um, but the idea was, originally I think it just said dragons, and then we said, oh, let's broaden out a little bit from dragons, said flying creatures. Um, in general, we're careful about, I mean, we like green having fight, and we, we do an ETB fight every once in a while. Um, we're careful with it because we want to make sure that it feels more like uh, it's not just a creature is going to come and play, kill a creature, and die. Um, the fact that it said flying creatures and a lot of dragons in the set meant most of the time the dragon's going to gobble up and eat the little thing. And since you get to choose what creature, um, you often will choose a thing that you can completely destroy without losing it in the fight, because you get to pick the fight. Um, 
The reason it says uh, opponent controls, so you'll notice more and more we will pick things where, like, if I'm going to fight something, odds are I want to fight things on my opponent's side. Not a lot of reason to fight on my side. Um, When that comes up, one of the things we've been trying to figure out is for Magic Online, we're trying to reduce clicks. And the idea is how often do you want to do that on yourself versus how often you want to do it on your opponent. This is a good example where I'm not saying you never, ever might come up with a reason to do it yourself, but you so, so much of the time you want to fight your opponent's creature um, that we decided that it just made it easier to do opponent's creature. So that's why it says opponent's creature. Okay, next, Frostwalker. So Frostwalker is one blue for a 4-1 elemental. Uh, whenever the target of a spell or ability, sacrifice it. So we used to call this ability Skulking. It first showed up on a card called Skulking Ghost in black in... Where did Skulking Ghost show up? Skulking Ghost was... Legends? I don't know. Early, early, early magic. Um, and, uh... Oh, no. Skulking Ghost? Maybe Skulking Ghost was Mirage. Anyway, relatively early magic. Um, we eventually moved the ability to blue. We liked the idea. Um, I think originally it was sort of represented ghosts and, like, sort of a ghost... Does, it, it's It's incorporeal, so like, just all it takes is sort of throwing a little spell at ghost and it dissipates the ghost, I guess that was the idea. Uh, we ended up moving over to illusions mostly, uh, so you, uh, we had a core set where we introduced it in blue and it was mostly on illusions. The idea is I'm this big dangerous thing and I'm, I'm kind of cheap to play uh, because I'm really not what I appear to be, I'm an illusion, uh, and as long as you believe me, I have power and, and toughness, um, but once you doubt it, once you sort of question it, it pops. And the idea is once you target it, oh, you realize, oh, it's not real. Um, now, this set didn't really have an illusion theme. So instead, the ability is now in blue. They had to come up with a different flavor for it. So the idea here is it's an elemental made of frost. So the idea is super fragile. Um, so the idea is it has substance and it can harm you. But all you have to do to disrupt it is just throw some spell at it and it dissipates it. Um, so I thought that was a cute, like... In general, we come up with flavors for a thing that we're trying to match. And then sometimes in worlds, we want to do that mechanic, but we don't have that flavor. So, like, really, we weren't doing a lot of illusions here. But, okay, the creative came with a cute way to, to allow us to do that here in blue uh, on Tarkir. Okay, next is Ghastly Conscription. Five black black. It's a sorcery. You exile all the creature cards from target player's graveyard, and then you manifest them. You, sh- you shuffle them and manifest them. So the, the opponent knows... So here's, normally when you manifest, you're not sure what you're going to get. You know, you're not sure. A lot of times manifesting's off the top of the library. So this is a little bit different. So this is kind of a reanimation spell, but it requires you to jump through a little hoop first, which is all your creatures come back as 2-2, and you have to cast them to turn them into the thing they are. Um, one of the fun things about this is because you shuffle them, your opponent doesn't know, wh- your opponent doesn't know what they are. Like, unlike most manifests, like, I have a face-down creature. Is it a land? Is it a morph creature? Is it just a creature? What is it? Um, with this, you know what they are. You can look at them. Okay, I, I see the eight creatures that you're taking. And you can choose target player's graveyard. So if, if your opponent has better stuff, you can take their stuff. So your opponent gets to see what it is. So the fun of it is they don't know. They know what you have to choose from. So if I take eight creatures, they know the eight creatures you have, but they don't know which one is which creature. Uh, and it's a very fun card. It's expensive, obviously, because it's a pretty good ability. But um, it's, it's a neat, neat card. I really like how it plays. And I like... There's a lot of coolness of the interplay of trying to figure out, like, based on how your opponent acts, like, oh, they're a little more hesitant with that one. Is that a bigger creature? You know, anyway, you can do neat tricks. And um, one of the things I like a lot is Magic has a lot of opportunity for bluffing. Um, And this is a good card where 
a lot of times the way to get your opponent to believe something is just to act as if it were true. That if you take a creature and you act, if you just assume and pretend like if this was this creature face down, here's how I act with it, and act that way, a lot of times your opponent goes, oh, why is he being so confident with that creature, or hesitant with that creature, and will start making assumptions as if you were acting the way you would act if they were really that. Um, now, once again, if the opponent can read you and figure out your bluffing, they can call your bluff, but... Uh, this is the kind of card where you can do some fun bluffing. And, and, and I, one of the things I've learned about Magic is how much at the high level of play that there is just trying to read the opponent and figure out what they're doing and not doing. Um, and you know, there's a lot of, of skill that can be gained of learning when you kind of can push things. Like when your opponent kind of has to assume, your opponent will so get destroyed by you bluffing that they kind of have to assume you're not bluffing that it's great opportunities for you to bluff when it's really not in their advantageous to call your bluff. Um, but anyway, enough on bluffing. Next, Goblin Boom Keg. So it's an artifact that costs four. At the beginning of your upkeep, you sacrifice it, and then when it uh, goes to the graveyard from play, um, it does three damage to a creature or player. So this card is interesting in that uh, it's not just a lightning bolt. It, it doesn't just do three damage to a creature or player. You have to put it into play. You have to wait for another upkeep. So you have to wait for your upkeep. So you have to. So let's say you play it on your main phase. You have to wait most of a turn. You know, most of three through the rest of your turn, your opponent's turn or opponent's turn if you're playing multiplayer, back to your upkeep. Um, and there's opportunities they can deal with it. They can destroy it. Um, but it does allow you to like. It is pretty valuable. It's colorless. Any deck can play it. Um, it, anyway, it's an interesting card. It definitely does things that are, are neat. The other cool thing about it is it doesn't, it'll sacrifice itself if you wait a whole turn, but if you have some other way to sacrifice it, you both will get the sacrifice ability out of it because it's a thing you can sacrifice and you don't care to keep it, and you get the ability because all it requires is it going to the graveyard. It doesn't require it sacking itself. You can sack it. So it definitely is one of those cards that like can have a lot of uses if you can figure out a way to use it. Okay, next, Goblin Heel Cutter. So Goblin Heel Cutter costs three and a red for a 3-2 creature. It's a Goblin Berserker. Um, so when it attacks, target creature can't block. And it has dash two red. Um, so this is uh, another creature where the surprise value has a little bit of what's going on in the dash. Um, that The neat thing about it is that when I attack, my opponent can't block with something. So not only is haste cool because they don't predict the creature coming, but I get... Like, let's say I have a bunch of creatures I can attack with. They only have one creature back. This really has a lot of nice surprise value. So um, this is definitely a card where sometimes you dash it, not even to get it a turn early, although you get that as a, I mean, a, a side effect, but it's like, oh, wow, my opponent isn't seeing this coming. Um, I really enjoyed how dash played. Dash is one of those mechanics where it, it is no question it's coming back. No question my mind is returning. Um... Uh, in fact, Bolster, I like both, both Dash and Bolster, which got introduced in the set. So the three new mechanics were Manifest, Dash, Bolster. All three got, uh, were pretty popular. Manifest was the most popular, with Dash being second. Um, although Promise, by the way, I think was the highest rated um, uh, clan mechanic. It's funny, by the way, because we do two waves of each set, or two waves of the big set and one wave of the small set. Um, maybe two waves. So where we, we get your opinion on what you think of things. And the very first wave of Kanzatark here, Prowess was the lowest rated clan mechanic. And by the final wave of Fate Reforged, it was the highest rated clan mechanic. So it really grew on people, which is cool. Which is good, because we made it evergreen. Um, 
Okay, next. Grim Contest. So Grim Contest is a multicolored card. It costs one black-green. Uh, it's an instant. And uh, two creatures fight. Creature you control and creature you don't control fight. But instead of normal fight, it's based on toughness. Um, and so... Uh, the, uh, I think... What was the name of this card? It had, a. Uh, it had some cute name, like, uh, um, uh, what do you call the, I'm blinking on this now, the, the, the big guys that try to force each other off the mat, um, I'm blinking on see, you at home, can fill in the thing, um, you guys know what I'm talking about, anyway, uh, anyway, the, 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 it was Blah Fighting was the name of the card, and was, I'm picturing it in my head, but I'm blinking on the name, um, when I write, I gotta look it up, but when I'm in the car driving, uh, I do not, so you guys at home can fill in the blank. Um, okay, Grim Contest was, uh, there was a theme of caring about toughness in Abzan, um, and also black-green. I guess it technically it was a black-green theme that was, uh, made sense in Abzan. So the idea is you drafted black-green, it was more about toughness. If you drafted Abzan, it was a component of it, because black and green are, are in it. One of the things they wanted to do in Fate Reforged Draft, when you played it with Kantatarkir, was have a primary wedge strategy and a backup enemy color strategy, which is what Kans was doing. Um, so each of the enemy colors had a strategy. The black-green strategy was a toughness matter strategy. When you see, we'll talk about different toughness cards, black and green have it. Um, the way you can tell that this is one of the major themes is there's a gold card that's really cementing the theme to help communicate it to you. Something we'll be doing a lot more of is just having uh, usually a gold card uncommon that just is clear in the message of what the clan is trying to do. Uh, or sorry, the archetype of the two-color combination trying to do. So when you draft it in your opening... Let's say an opening booster, you take it. Oh, I got. I, I see what I'm doing. It helps guide you in that direction. Okay, next. Harsh Sustenance is another gold card. One white, black, instant. Deal damage to creature or player and gain X life. Deal X damage to target creature or player and gain X life where X is the number of creatures you control. Um, so white, black was messing around with, I think, uh, light, life gain. That it, it was sort of... Um, draining out your opponent and it cared about having creatures so this is a good example where it's basically a drain um, although you can target creatures or players it's a drain that you can focus but it's more effective the more creatures you have Um, and I think the idea was white-black fits into um, both uh, Abzan and into Mardu Uh, just like Grim Contest was black-green that fit into Sultai and fit into Abzan and so the idea is that the card worked well in both, both those clans. Harsh Sustenance works well both in Mardu, that has a lot of small creatures, and in um, Abzan, that also can make a lot of stalemates, so it gets a lot of creatures. Um, but if you're going to do white-black by itself, this is a theme that you could play into. Okay, Hero's Blade is an artifact uh, in equipment that costs two. Uh, equipped creature gets plus three, plus two, and it costs four to equip. But... Whenever a legendary creature comes onto the play, you can equip it to it for free. It snaps on. Um, and so the idea was, this is a blade. And, uh, so I think the idea was um, that the first set, cons, had the uh, had the um, cons in it. Fate Were Forge had the proto-cons in it uh, and, and had the dragons. And um, the dragon Sarkir had the dragons. So Fate Were Forge, because we wanted to have the proto-cons and the, introduce the dragons, it had 10 legendary cards in a small set. That's a lot of legendary cards. So I think they decided to make a, a card to go with it, saying, hey, we're, we're a little bit legendary heavy based on the needs of the set. Hey, let's give you a legendary matters card. 
Um, something that if you're building a deck around the Legends, you can use. And it, it's a card that you can use anyway, plus three, plus two for equipped four and limited. Something you might play anyway. Um, but if you have a bunch of legendary creatures, it obviously definitely is better. Okay, next, Humble Defector. So one in a red for a 2-1 human rogue. Tap, draw two cards, and then target opponent gains control. You can only activate it on your turn. So this is one of those cards. One of the things we're always trying to find, um, there are a lot of different formats that Magic gets played in, and that when Magic was created, it was definitely created to sort of match a certain tone. Uh, a lot of the archetypes were built around two-player play. So when you get to something like multi- a multiplayer, Red has had a little of an identity crisis. In two-player play, Red is about aggression. Red is about beating you very fast. But that style of play is a lot harder to play with in multiplayer because if you, you know, use all your resources to kill one player, well, guess what? You have a whole bunch of players left. Where in a two-player game, you win the game. Um, so one of the things we've been looking for is to find more tools for multiplayer play. And this card is definitely us attempting to do this. Um, the idea that I can use it for card advantage with something red needs, but in a way that's not straight-up card advantage. Um, and what this card does is, um, in a two-player game, it just says that my opponent and I go back and forth drawing cards. So I get to go first, so I get a card draw first, but... Um, the idea essentially is, I draw two, you draw two. We, we, I mean, as much as we want, as long as you want to continue this, we each letting the other draw two. Uh, and one person can stop anytime they want, but obviously they're, they're losing out on cards by doing so. Um, in multiplayer, this card has a political aspect because you get to, you get to choose who it goes to. Everyone who's an opponent. Um, so like a two-handed giant, you can't give it to your teammate. But in, in any sort of free-for-all or a commander game where no one, every, everybody's technically my opponent, I can definitely play games in which I can do political things. And I can go, hey, if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. And you can use it as a means to sort of do politics. So um, this is definitely a card which is had more an eye toward multiplayer formats. Um, not that you can't play in two-player play. It, 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 it can work. Um, and it's a little quirky, and it's red getting card advantage, which red doesn't normally do. Um, the argument uh, sort of supported it was the idea that, well, my opponent's also getting card advantage. So, like, I'm sort of everybody's kind of getting card advantage, and so it's not just me getting card advantage. So it's a bend, but we decided an acceptable bend. Okay, next, Hungering Yeti. Four and a red for a 4-4 four, four Yeti. Uh, if you have a green or black, a blue, sorry, a green or blue permanent in play, you may play this creature as if it had flash. Um, so once again, um, this is the cycle of creatures who gain abilities if you have the proper color. Um, in this cycle, the ability you gain is not something the creature naturally does. So, um, Flash is centered in blue and green. All the colors actually can have Flash if uh, it's like tertiary in the other colors, um, but they tend to get it when they have an ETB effect or an battlefield effect or something that really needs it to be Flash, so it's used very infrequently. Um, so normally just a vanilla 4-4 would not have Flash in red, but blue and green both have Flash um, as a, a primary slash secondary thing. So anyway, it's a good example of of reaching to other colors to be able to get something they can do that you can't. Um, also, I'm always happy to see uh, more Yetis in Magic. Um, okay, Jeskai Infiltrator. Two in a blue for two, three human monk. Uh, it, this card can't be blocked as long as you don't control another creature. So if it's the only creature you have, it's unblockable. And then whenever it does combat damage to you, you take this card and the top card of your library and you manifest both of them, meaning you take them, you shuffle them, put them face down, So the cool thing about this is your opponent knows that every time this creature damages you, you have the ability to manifest another creature, plus 
manifest this. Um, so you play a little shell game, if you will, of my opponent knows, okay, one of those things i got to be careful not to let through. The other, probably, odds are is a 2-2 and can't turn into anything else because you're in your deck, you're going to have 40% land, you're going to have a bunch of spells. Usually less than half your deck is creatures. So if you manifest a card, odds are it's more likely not a creature than it is a creature. So usually it's just a 2-2. But uh, you got to be careful because if the... if this creature gets through and one of the manifest creatures is the Jeskai Infiltrator, it just can make another manifest creature. Um, and eventually, some of those manifest creatures will turn into other creatures. So, um, anyway, this was a fun card. It definitely was a little complex, had a lot of words on it, but it's one of those cards that we played with and really, really liked how it played. Um, there's a lot of pressure when we make cards. One of our metrics that we use is how many words appear on a card. Um, and the reason, so one of the, I never really talked about metrics. The idea of metrics is we want things that we can easily count to give us a general sense of how the set is doing. It's not that the metric controls any, the decision on any one card, but it does say to us, hey, if we're at a certain word count, that kind of says, oh, you're getting a little complicated. You need to look at the set. Um, and so whenever we have really wordy cards, we look at them and go, okay, this, this is driving up our word count. Is it worth it? Does it make sense? You know, um, and this is a good example of a card like, you know, it's wordy, but wow, we really like it. You know, not every, we can't have infinite wordy cards. Um, or, or, or when I say wordy, the other thing I also mean is just complex. Like it's tiny print, you got to read it. What does it do? You know, this is a card that you have to read sometimes more than once to understand. And like I said, that's a little red flag of you can't have a lot of those cards. But we really, really like the gameplay of this card. So we said, you know what? We're going to keep it. Okay, next, Coligon, the Storm Fury. So this is the black red dragon, three black red, five mana for a four or five flying dragon, all dragon fly, or most dragons fly. Uh, dragons you control, whenever dragon you control attacks, uh, all your creatures get plus one plus oh, and it has dash three black red. So this, this cycle is pretty tight, except that um, this one got dash, and all the other dragons in the cycle I think are flying, and um, whenever a dragon you control attacks, do something. This one also gained dash. Um, so breaking the cycle a little bit, although um, I think what they wanted to do is on the two dragons to introduce the two new keywords, which were bolster and dash, they wanted to get bolster and dash on the card. Um, so that as we introduced the mechanics, they showed up on their dragon. So that's why they did. Le- Speaking of dragons, Lightning Shrieker, 4R for a 5-5 dragon, common, flying, trample, haste, at the end step, um, shuffled into your library. So the idea of this card is we wanted to do a common dragon... For those who have read my State of the Union, uh, State of Design um, column, uh, we also wanted to get a common in Dragon Zerk here. We ended up that getting pushed up to uncommon. I wish this had now been there. But anyway, this was the perfect answer for a common dragon. And that really, on some level, it's a spell. It's a spell that does five damage to the opponent. It's Arc Lightning. It's a very flavorful Arc Lightning. Um, not 100% Arc Lightning. My opponent can block with it. There's dragon triggers. You know, there's, there's things that care about dragons. So it's not... It's a little bit more than Arc Lightning, but it is a very flavorful Arc Lightning that mechanically ties in the set, um, but it makes sense as a common in the sense that I do five to you and then it goes away. And shuffling your library means, yeah, maybe I can draw it again, but whatever, I can... It, I have to, it's, it becomes another spell. Um, this is really clever. Um, I, in retrospect, wish Dragon's Dark here had... I don't know. I, I really wanted Dragon's to have a common dragon. I wanted the set to have a lower as fan of Dragon, so... I think this card was in the wrong set, but I like the design a lot. It's a really good way to make a common dragon. Um, 
And, and the card just did a lot of good things. It's just having a dragon that you can reveal from your hand as a dragon. Or when you, you attack with it, it counts all the things that trigger dragon attacks, it counts. And it just does all those positive pro-dragon things, yet really, really just, it's a, it's a, um, a lightning act. Not light, uh, I said it earlier, the spell I meant. Uh, it, it does five damage to the opponent. Um, uh, uh, it's an axe. It's a... Not a lightning axe. Light, okay. One of the things that horribly frustrates me is I have a pretty good memory, and I can remember things like the top eight of who was in the first worlds, but somehow with card names, I have trouble. Uh, it's lightning axe. I did lightning axe. Okay, I, I'm going to say lightning axe. Okay, next. Uh, Meringue River Prowler. To you for a 2-1 human rogue. Um, it can't block or be blocked. And if you have a black or green creature, I'm sorry, black or green permanent in play, you can cast it from the graveyard. So that's an ability that we use in black and green. A little bit more black than green, but uh, black and green can both get um, creature cards back from the graveyard. Um, so both of them are allowed to... Again, casting it out of your graveyard for all intents and purposes is returning to your hand and saying you must play it this turn. So... That is something that black and green can essentially do. Um, so we made this a black or green thing. Next, uh, Mardu Scout. Red, red, 3-1, Goblin Scout, dash 1-R. So this is another cl- clever way to use dash in which um, in order to get a 3-1, um, uh, uh, 1-R is too cheap for a 3-1. You have to pay RR for a 3-1. Um, but the idea is, well... You can dash it for 1R. So the cost is RR, and this is 1R. So the idea is sometimes you'll dash it because you don't have the second red mana. It's a different, it's a different thing. Uh, I'll take that back, but I think you can get a vanilla RR 3-1. I, I do believe you can get that. Um, not with haste, though. So, um, so the cool thing about this is the dash helps you do some mana fixing sometimes. Sometimes it's like, okay, I'm playing, let's say, a three-color deck. Having red-red on your second turn on the three-color deck is pretty hard. So dash can say, hey, there's a way to use this until you get the second red mana. So that's another way to use dash. Okay, next, Mastery of the Unseen. One and a white enchantment. Uh, permanence you control, or whenever a permanent you control turns face up, you gain one life equal to the number of creatures you have. So whenever you, you turn a creature face up, you gain X life or X of the number of creatures you have. The card also, and that card by itself will be fine, but we want to make sure that you can make this happen. So it has the second ability, which is pretty powerful, which is three and a white um, manifest the top card of your library. So the cool thing about this is it keeps making... Like, in a vacuum, without any other help, and there's plenty of other things to help you, in a vacuum, it's like, okay, I make manifest creatures. Um, every creature I make is going to be a 2-2. Some of them, some portion of them, 40-50% about, is going to be a creature, so I can turn it face up. Every time that happens, I'm going to gain life, and, and even if I only have this card in play, it's generating creatures. So it's a neat way to sort of generate an army and get life. Um, I know I've seen some decks use this... Um, there are even some decks that use this without a lot of creatures, because the idea is... Oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm taking it back. You have to have creatures kept turn face up. Um, I've seen decks use this in which um, it has other ways to turn face up, but most of those will be creatures, because only, barring some future site stuff, mostly things that turn face up are creatures. So I guess you're not, you're not really putting this in a creatureless deck. Um, in limited, sometimes you could use this as a means to just generate a lot of tokens, but still, some will be creatures which will turn face up. Okay, next is Merciless Executioner. So, Merciless Executioner uh, costs two and a black for three one. It's an orc warrior. Um, when you enter the battle fi- when the, 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 when you enter the battlefield, when it enters the battlefield, each player sacrifices a creature. Um, so, the idea here is um, 
Mardu and Black White both definitely both have this idea of just getting more creatures in your opponent. Um, and so this card says, hey, if I just have more creatures, especially more small creatures where I'm, I'm more willing, that if you have a, a little more larger strategy, playing Teamer or somebody, that has a little less smaller creatures and more bigger creatures, you just can make good trades for like, well, yeah, I got to lose a creature, but I just got smaller, dinkier creatures than you do. Um, uh, and this creature itself is a 3-1, so sometimes the best thing you do is, um, this card sometimes functions as, you know, make target player uh, sacrifice a creature, because, like, this is the creature you sacrifice if it's your worst creature. Um, it's a 3-1. Often you'll have smaller than that, but some, sometimes it's the creature you sacrifice. Okay, next, Mob Rule. So Mob Rule is a sorcery. It costs four red-red. Um, it's a choose card. Like I said, one of the themes of the set. So you can choose to gain control of all creatures with power four or greater, or all creatures with power three or less. Uh, and then you get them for the turn. It steals them from the turn. Um, the cool thing about this card is it has a lot of utility, meaning you can steal anything. can't steal everything, but can steal anything. And that, that is pretty cool. Um, and the idea is sometimes your opponent just has an army of lots of little things, or sometimes your opponent has a few big creatures, and then this can deal with either of those depending on what it is. Um, the hardest time is when your opponent has a mix of things in which it's got some small things and some large things, but not enough of a swing that it, it's quite as beneficial. Um, but sometimes your opponent has like three dragons in play, and you're like, I know my choice. Monastery Monks. Two and a white for a 2-2 human monk with prowess. Um, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you put a 1-1 white monk creature token in play with prowess. Um, so this is one of the things we started doing here that you'll... Well, I guess we started doing Constant Tarkir. We did a little bit more here, and we do a lot of it in... Or a bunch of it in uh, Dragons of Tarkir, which is essentially prowess triggers that aren't actually prowess triggers. Prowess only gives a creature plus one, plus one. So anytime we want to do something else other than plus one, plus one what we need to do is um, write it out. So it, it literally says when you cast a non-creature spell. Um, we had goofed around with the idea of prowess saying, of doing more than just plus one, plus one, saying prowess and have other abilities, but it ended up being cleaner just to be plus one, plus one, which I'm glad we did because we were able to evergreen it. Um, but uh, this is a good example of something where um, it just did something cool. You know, the, the idea that I can keep making a whole army of things. Every time I cast a non-creature, I get one more, and then all my guys care about the non-creature. So um, this card worked really well in a deck that um, was a little heavier than non-creatures because it's generated creatures. Okay, finally, my last, my last uh, spell for today. I'm going to finish with M's and then, and then call it a podcast. Uh, Monastery Siege. So this is the blue siege. costs two and a blue, three mana. For cons, at the beginning of your draw, you get to loot meaning you get to draw an additional card and then discard a card. Uh, and then um, for dragon, if you chose dragons, spells targeting you or permanents you control cost two more. Um, something we do uh, occasionally in blue, just sort of protecting your creatures. But not it's not that your opponent can't do things to them. It's just harder to do things to them. Um, but anyway, this is another siege. Once again, remember, cons do positive things. Dragons do, cons do good things for you. Dragons do negative things for the opponent. Um, and so this is kind of neat in that it, it is spell-based in both ends. It's either I'm getting spells or I'm making your spells harder to cast. But it, it definitely, once again, it has some sort of parallelism to it, which I like. But anyway, I'm done with M. So obviously we'll have at least one more podcast. We'll see. I'm, I'm not sure whether it's one or two more. But I'm chugging along. I hope you guys are enjoying hearing about pods, um, not hearing about uh, Fate Reforged. Um, and I see my, my time. I had some extra traffic today. So anyway, a little, a little bonus extra content for you today on Fate Reforged. But I'm in my parking space. We all know what that means. It means at the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic... Time me time for me to be making magic. See you guys next time.